Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have a Bible app, you can actually uh, uh, launch the Bible app and find us there uh, as a live event. Or you can go to calvary.online, click today's message, and it'll pop right up on your Bible app. All the notes will be there, and you can add your own notes in. Um, we're, uh, we're actually uh, in, in the second part of a three-part series called Strengthened by the Seed. And uh, this, um, uh, this message is, is more, um, it's, it's less anecdotal, less stories, more this is what the, the, war, the Lord is saying right now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we were praying and asking God to show us the way of wisdom, Praying Jeremiah chapter 6, standing at the crossroads, looking, asking where the good way is, saying, God, show us the right way. Uh, I was, uh, it was a Thursday night into a Friday morning, early Friday morning. Um, uh, the Lord spoke to me a couple weeks ago, and it was so loud. I don't know if it was audible or if it was just in my heart, but it was so loud, it, it woke me up. And the Lord spoke these words to me, which is kind of the reason I'm sharing this series with you. And it said, it is time to consume the nine seeds. Now, I knew the Lord was not giving me dieting tips, much in the same way that when he was talking about the parable of the sower, he wasn't talking about good farming techniques, okay? I knew he was talking about a, a spiritual implication of getting the right fuel in your heart for the times in which we live. How many of you know the right fuel for anything is really important? I got a, uh, a friend of mine is here uh, today uh, visiting, and I was out on his property. And I, yesterday, we were trying to crank up a pole saw, and the fuel was there, and it seemed like everything was right. And I was pulling and pulling and pulling, and that thing never started. You know, it didn't run. And I don't know if it's a fuel problem, a spark problem. I don't. Know. I don't know what the problem was, but I know this, that you are a tool in God's hand. You are one that God wants to use, but if you're feeding yourself the wrong fuel, you're probably not going to get started. Let me just say, if you're feeding on news networks in this hour, you're probably not going to be a tool in God's hand. Why? Because if you're feasting on social media, and that's really what you're feasting on, you're getting the wrong fuel, and then when you're called into service, you're, go you're not going to start. You're not going to, there's nothing, there's no fire there. You got to feast on the seed. And when God spoke to me and said, hey, uh, it's time to consume the nine seeds, I, know, I knew that he was talking about the spiritual seeds of God's word and that there were nine principles from God's word that he wanted us to not only know but to consume, to be nourished by in this moment. You see, the word of God, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, is the imperishable seed. It says, for you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So what is this saying? The word of God is the imperishable seed. It's never going bad. It's never going out of style. You can't have anybody say, hey, by the way, this book doesn't apply anymore. No, why? Because it is an imperishable seed, an incorruptible seed. It's the seed that keeps on living, keeps on giving, and keeps on working. It works across time, and it will work in your life if you, what, consume it. I can remember asking God, I'm like, God, 
why is it that we live forever when we believe what you said in your word? And it was really simple. I asked questions of God like that. Why do we live forever when we believe? What's the connection there? And he told me, it's because of the nature of the seed you took in. The nature of the seed you took in. You see, when you believe the word of God, which is eternal and forever settled in heaven, it, 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 this word is not temporary. It's not man's word. It's been forever in the past. Why? How do I know this? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we know in verse 14 is that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, you see, Jesus is the word of God. God, and the word of God expressed in page. This is the, the revelation of redemption. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you take this word in, it nourishes you and readies you for this moment. So we can't just say, oh man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna, uh, you know, take in a one sermon a week. I'm just gonna live on pastor seed. No, 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 no. Here's how I know that doesn't work. Jesus, when he was being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, he said this to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Did you know God's got a word for you today and he's got a word waiting, on for, you, waiting for you tomorrow? I might not be the one giving it to you. It could be that you need to go back and get the seed for yourself and to consume it and to take it into your life. God's got a word for you. You need to live by every word that comes from God. Don't miss it. But you can be nourished by it. And you can, be, you can grow in the season. Now, I believe the reason that God is giving uh, us this, this mandate of taking these nine seeds is because of the hour that we live in. It's because of the day. And through a series of events that I don't have enough time to go into, I discovered that the very thing that we laid hold of as a philosophy, as a church, in the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, out of 1 Thessalonians 5, is actually where the nine seeds are located. There are nine principles in 1 Thessalonians 5, which I was blown away by, because we've been praying this since March, and then God says, hey, by the way, this is where the nine seeds are located. And the reason why 1 Thessalonians 5 really applies uh, to us today is because 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 are some of the greatest passages on end times in the Bible. How many of you know we're living in the end times? Some of you are like, man, I wish I had just been born in another decade so I didn't have to deal with all this stuff. No, no, no. No, that's the wrong thing. I think even my son has said, he said to me, dad, I think I should have been born in the 80s. I'm like, I live the 80s. You're not missing anything. <laughs> Except Cindy Lauper, okay? Uh, he's like, no, I feel like I was, I, I, I'm missing something. No, 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 no. And here's what I say to him, and here's what I say to you. 
No matter the situation, you are made for this moment. You are the tool that God has fashioned for this hour. You are the people that God put on this planet because he knew that if you would be nourished by what he is saying and led by his spirit, that you could shine bright in this hour and that you could overcome through the living word of God and the movement of his spirit and his work in your life. So the word of God is eternal and it nourishes us in every season. So what are these nine seeds that we're talking about? It's an end time checklist. It's a checklist. Comes after 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, talking about end times. And last week, and I'm not going to review it all, I'm just going to give you these three seeds. And, uh, you know, this is not a pop quiz. It's just a quick review. We may, there may be a test next week. You better not stay home. We talked about the first three seeds. Literally, we're walking through the scriptures together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We talked about the seed of covering, how important it is in this hour to stay connected. Stay connected to your pastors. Stay connected to spiritual authority. Stay connected. Why? Here's why. We're better together. It has nothing to do with control. Nobody, nobody in this house wants to control you or manipulate you. That that is not our goal. Our goal is to lift you into your ministry, to see the gifts that are in you come alive. That's what we want to see. That's our role. But you may never enter into it into its fullness unless you embrace the seed of covering. It's there. Go back and listen to the message. It's on Calvary.online, every platform. It's there. The second is, is the seed of ministry. The seed of ministry, that we have to consume the seed of ministry, that we need to stop just thinking, man, I need somebody to call me. I need somebody to minister to me. I need to do this. I wish somebody would think of me and call me. And last time I checked, phones work both ways. See, the seed of ministry says, man, comfort those who are faint-hearted. Well, who is that speaking to? The brothers and sisters in Christ. That means that, 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 that God expects that with the comfort that we have been comforted, that we actually release that to other people. In this hour, don't be just that one that's waiting by the phone and thinking, nobody's thinking of me. Be that one that consumes the seed of ministry and goes out and reaches other people and talks to other people and said, listen, the quickest antidote for needing ministry is to do ministry. And you've got, to, you've got to begin to reach out. Listen, and don't just say amen and do nothing. James 1 says if we do that, we will be deceived. Don't be a hearer of the word and deceive yourself, but do it. Go serve somebody. The seed of ministry and then the seed of grace. We're just walking through the passages. Listen, in this hour, I know there's a lot of sense of justice. There's political opinion. Everybody is on edge. And we're just like, ugh, can't deal with people and their opinions. And the truth is, it's, it's hard enough for us to just give people mercy. And while, while I am grateful for mercy, people need something more than mercy. They need the seed of grace. That means to give them something they could never earn. Let me say it to you this way. This is the way we said it. Don't give, don't give people what they deserve. Give them what they need. Give them what they need. We don't render evil for evil. Please go back and listen to that message. But we're going to talk about the next three seeds. This is really going in order. 
uh, up through this nine, this, this checklist of nine things that if we are going to be healthy and nourished and useful to God, then we have to embrace these, these seeds, consume them and be nourished by them. The fourth one in the list, these three today, by the way, have, have literally shifted the landscape of how we have been doing ministry since March. And, and, and we believe that many of you are growing and, and are experiencing a move of God because we saw this, and literally the Lord showed it to us. The way the Lord said it to me is that these three things today are the key to mental health in the last day. Mental health is one of the greatest issues facing people right now in the midst of a pandemic. There is a mental health crisis on the rise. Suicides are rising. Divorce is rising. And there's all of this, this tension. And the Lord specifically said these three are key to mental health. So we grabbed hold of these three. And then the Lord showed me the, 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 the previous three. And then... Next week, we'll look at the last three. So let's look at these together. The fourth seed is this. It's the seed of joy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, the seed of joy. You guys know this. Always, always be rejoicing. Always be joyful. The word joyful there is rejoice. Always be joyful. And I know some of you really put a lot of weight on your personality test. And you're like folding your arms and looking at me with your furrowed brow saying, Pastor, I am melancholy. <laughs> well, listen, Mr. Glass Half Empty. Uh, uh, you have to wrestle with the word of God. So you're either going to give credence to your personality test or the word of God, which is able to transform your life, okay? And even if you do have a personality type that avoids people, I mean, you're introverted. You don't avoid people. You actually recharge by yourself. Introverted and extroverted doesn't refer to you, doesn't excuse us from being around people. It refers to how you recharge That'll help you. That was free. I didn't say that in first service. It must be for someone here <laughs> who is totally uncomfortable because someone drugged you here. Okay? <laughs> Always be joyful. This word is rejoice, and, and this is how I define it. It is expressively glad for grace expressively gr uh, glad for grace. That means that this kind of joy. Find some way to be expressed. And in the middle of this word, rejoice, is the root word in Greek, charis. It is the word grace. And so when you rejoice, you are living in an awareness of God's undeserved favor on your life through relationship with Jesus Christ. It is enough to get you up in the morning and say, man, my sins are forgiven. Man, no matter what yesterday, I did or how I failed mercy kissed me this morning and woke me up and now I'm, I'm walking in a righteousness that's not my own man I've got reason to be joyful 
I'm in the family of God. It's to be expressively glad for grace. You say, how can you do that? Don't you see the condition? Don't you see the masks? Yes. I happen to have some. I always forget them. (laughs) Well, there was a time when things were falling apart in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, the whole city had fallen apart. Jerusalem had totally been overrun by enemies. Walls knocked down, no defense. And all of a sudden, God began to stir the heart of a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah got it in his heart. He saw the condition of the city of Jerusalem and he grieved and he wept. He says, I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and make Mexico pay for it. Sorry. That's just to make sure you're paying attention, okay? Okay, it sort of happened that way, though, a little bit, okay? That's actually kind of how it happened. Nehemiah did get someone else to pay for the wall. Uh, But here it is, laying in shambles. Here it is, falling apart. Things are broken. The city's broken. No way to protect themselves. No way to keep themselves safe. Nehemiah gets in his heart. I'm going to rebuild the wall. And then he begins to rebuild the wall. But not only was the city broken, but the people were spiritually broken. They have uh, stepped away from the word of God. They had not been reading the word of God. They weren't aware of the instruction of God. So God starts to move. God starts to do something, and Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. He rebuilds the wall, and then standing with Ezra, who is a priest and a prophet, uh, when when they get the word of God, and now they've gathered the people of God, there's a restoration going on in the city. They begin to read the word of God to the people of God. And do you know what their response was? Weeping. The people were weeping. They're like, we are so far away from what you're reading. We we can't can't possibly be the people of God. Look, you're reading this truth and we're not doing almost any of that. And so the people begin to weep. And you know, just at first glance, you know, Any modern preacher would be like, ooh, God's moving. The people are sorrowful, sackcloth and ashes, you know? God's moving. But that is actually quite the opposite of what the response was. And Nehemiah in that moment said, wait a minute. This is the wrong response, and I want you to see this. When everything was broken... People's spiritual lives were falling apart. The city had just been rebuilt. People were weeping at their disconnect to God. Notice what Nehemiah says. He says, go and enjoy choice food. Can I get an amen? Amen. And sweet drinks and send send something to those who had nothing. He's saying, help those in need. Right Now notice, he says, this day is holy to the Lord. 
in a moment of restoration, in a moment of awakening, if you will, in a moment of revival of, of Jerusalem, he said, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying, listen, you, you think that you, you need to be grieving, but you need to be celebrating. God has set you apart for this moment. And if you want to be the ones who God will use you in the last hour, it will be because you walk in the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of God that's your strength. It's your strength. Joy will strengthen you. Why? Because it's God-focused, not problem-focused. He's saying, don't look at your condition. He says, Israel, don't look at your condition. Jerusalem, don't look at your condition. Look at God. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy keeps us God-focused. Not circumstance-focused. God-focused. And you have to understand that there there are two things that are kind of knit together in Scripture. That is joy and hope. Joy and hope, they go together. You know, these three remain. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, love. Hope, what is hope? Hope is the joyful expectation that good is coming. That good is coming. And these, these two are together, joy and hope. You see, Romans 12, 12 says this, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. You see, joy and hope are intermingled. If you believe God is in your now, you can rest assured that God is in your future. I know so many people right now, they're so worried about what's going to happen on Thursday when we send all the kids back into, into school. They're like, oh, no. It's like taking millions of Mentos and pouring them into a, an ocean of Diet Coke. We put the kids in, <laughs> disease. <laughs> you laugh because you know that this is the perspective that we're dealing with. But hope says, if God has sustained me now, he will sustain me, young person, Thursday. He will keep me. He will protect me. Listen, God says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And here's what that means. And this may fry your minds like it did mine. Not only is God in our now, he actually is already standing currently in our future. Because he's the God that lives outside of time. You, that gonna, that, you're going to be messed up by trying to think about that too much. Don't, think, don't overthink that. Don't get lost in that. But God is not subject to time. He created time and put us in it. He lives outside of time. So I can tell you this, that God is here today, but he's already standing in tomorrow saying, come on, I'm making a way for you. So you don't, you don't need to live in fear. Why? I've got hope. I've got joy. The joy that comes from his presence. And the apostle Paul said some words in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say, rejoice. You got to understand a little bit about these epistles and where they were written. I've actually stood in Philippi. Philippi is the place where Paul was jailed. I went to the, to the remnants of the prison that, that held Paul. You know why it's the remnants? Because when they put Paul in a prison, he was rejoicing. And in that prison, he rejoiced, and God said, I hear one that is rejoicing. I'm going to break up the foundations of the prison to get to the one that is rejoicing. And he breaks in, and, and he sets Paul and Silas free. That happened. I was like, oh, that's good. I'm standing near next to a broken prison. And let me just tell you, some of you need to come out of your prison in joy. And the key to walking out is joy. And it's joy connected to God's presence. Many of us know who Pastor Rick Warren is. He, he, he wrote a book that was very influential in the church called The Purpose Driven Life. It's really about living for the purpose of sharing the gospel. But most of us don't realize that, you know, if you're really connected to the church world, you would know that his son committed suicide. And this is what his, his wife said about joy. Listen, joy is the determination. Listen to this. The determined choice to praise God in all things. So by the way, that's not written in the smooth waters of no problems. That is in the shaking times of uncertainty that you can praise God. I'm going to joyously choose to praise God when things don't look like they're lining up, when things don't look like they're falling into place for me. I believe that God is, is on the throne and that he is going to work this thing out for my good. The determined choice to praise God in all things. It's the seed of joy. You need to take it in and choose it and live by it. The next seed, we're just walking through the scriptures together. Most of us know this one, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. New Living Translation says this, never stop praying. New King James, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, the seed of prayer. Listen, church, this is the reason we launched daily prayer. This is the reason that we saw that these three things that we're covering today would be the key to mental health. And that right in the center of it all was prayer. And the reason that we made that decision is because in 2016, when I, when I took over here, we shifted our office times. They were 9 to 4. We shifted them to 10 to 5. But we continued to gather as a staff right here in this room every morning, night, that the office was open, Monday through Thursday. We would come and we would gather and pray right here for an hour. And we would pray and be nourished and share something from God's word and get stirred up. And it happened every day. And as a result, we, we saw, you know, almost, uh, it was like 390 souls uh, saved in 2019. So many baptisms and uh, the things that God has done. Over this, and we can really attribute it back to this one thing of getting into the place of prayer and total dependence on God. 
And so when this pandemic hit and everybody is separated, it just, it really occurred to me and, and also to others that, that we needed to turn on the lights and turn on the camera and say what God is doing in this room in the few, he can do in the many. And we begin to broadcast and we begin to worship and we begin to encourage every day at 9 a.m. And let me just tell you the testimonies that have come through daily prayer are unprecedented. It's moments of breakthrough like you wouldn't believe. Some of the stories would blow your mind. But it's not enough to say, good job, church. Good job, pastor. Good job praying, but you yourself never enter into the place of prayer. And I want to invite you, if you're, if you're retired in here at 9 a.m. every day, you could join us for prayer. Literally, we have almost a full service every day. There's worship and an encouraging word and prayer. I don't know what, what else that could be other than a service, you know, but it is an, a glorious time of interaction with God. And by the way, when you read this verse, pray without ceasing, never stop praying, this verse is not a reminder of failure. You know, when you, when you, if you have a study Bible and you don't have a good one, a depressed theologian will comment on this verse. It's true. They read it, pray without ceasing. Go and read the notes. Obviously, we can't do this. It's true. Go read your notes. Probably some of you have that study Bible. This is something we are incapable of doing. How many of you understand that if God's word gives us an instruction and we don't have the fullness of understanding, there's probably a deeper truth connected to that verse that we need to embrace. This is not so God can remind us, uh, God reminds us of our insufficiencies and limitations as human beings, that we actually need to sleep, that we need to work. And then he says, pray without ceasing. You're like, ah, God, you hate me. <laughs> Especially you A-type personalities. I got my list. Okay, first I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible. Okay. And now I have to pray without ceasing. It's like, and everything else on my list is off the list because this is supposed to take up all the rest of my day. There's a deeper truth. There's a deeper truth. What is it? This verse is not a reminder of our human failures, but an invitation to unceasing fellowship with God. That's what this is. He says, pray without ceasing. Prayer is the place of fellowship with God. It's living in constant communion. Smith Wigglesworth, great man of God who saw many healings, even people raised from the dead in his ministry. He said this, I never pray over 30 minutes, but I never go 30 minutes without praying. That's a powerful truth. And that's why we launch daily prayer. And I want you to notice uh, that when you see Jesus doing something, it actually is permission to model your life after it. Yeah. And in Mark chapter 1, we see, we see Jesus before daybreak. It says the next morning, before daybreak. Some of you groaned at that passage. <laughs> Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. If you read in Luke chapter 6, you'll find that he goes and prays all night. What happens when he comes out of an all-night prayer meeting? Everybody who came the next day got healed or delivered. You say, well, that was Jesus. Well, 
of course. Of course that was Jesus. So let me frame it to you this way. If Jesus, the perfect son of God, the sinless lamb, the one who, is a, who has been with the father since the absolute beginning, the beginning of all beginnings, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? Let me just give you some encouragement here. If you look at James chapter 5, this is, this is a, a wonderful summary of many of the things that, that prayer actually produces. It says, are, are, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. By the way, that's prayer in song. Are, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Here's what James says in James 5. Are you going through tough times? Pray. Are you going through good times? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you stuck in sin? Confess it and pray. Uh, listen, do you want the atmosphere of this nation to change? It won't change because of your political post on Facebook. Bow your knee and pray and God will send the rain and this place will produce what God has always wanted it to produce. It's the seed of prayer. And make no mistakes. Listen, listen. This, this, is, this is the truth. One of the highest forms of pride is prayerlessness. It's one of the highest forms of pride. And, and here's, here's the truth. God knows the proud from afar. So are you wondering why there's no interaction with you and the Lord? Could it be that the pride of prayerlessness is keeping him at a distance. Let me say it to you another way. Prayer unlocks the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. Because of what I can produce out of my own strengths, talents, abilities, it's temporary, but what God can produce from the place of prayer, it's eternal. Yes. We're strengthened by the seed of prayer. Lastly, as we are strengthened by the seed of gratitude, we're just going verse by verse. It is rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus.
in everything, give thanks. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, whenever I was a child, I, uh, I grew up in this little tiny missionary Baptist church. Some of you guys uh, have heard me tell stories of that wonderful church that uh, uh, I, I grew up in. It was a really tight community of, of believers. But I did not have a lot of experience outside with other denominations or other streams of Christianity. But I had this friend named Chuck, okay? And Chuck, uh, Chuck was Catholic. Uh, I didn't know what that meant other than their buildings were way bigger than ours, okay? Um, I didn't know what that meant. And Chuck one day said, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I said, Sure. And so I went as this little missionary Baptist boy into this Catholic worship experience, and I'm like, what in the world? I was like, what's with the workout, standing and sitting and kneeling and standing and sitting and kneeling? I was like, I just didn't know. I didn't know. I'm a missionary Baptist, man. We did not move much at all. We did not clap hands. didn't sing too loud. I mean, if re full-blown revival was in, we said, amen. <laughs> Not amen, amen, okay? So then we knew we were in revival. You hear the amens. But there we are in this Catholic experience, and then, um, then the, I, I hear the priest say something that I, I just had never heard this word before. It says, we're going to uh, partake in the Eucharist together. I'm like, and then I saw what he was doing. I was like, oh, communion. Communion. I get it. And, and, and of course, you know, you're, everybody just kind of goes up, and they, they, they serve it different ways. Here's what I really didn't know about why they call that moment the Eucharist. In Greek, the word Eucharist means to give thanks. It's not referring to the, the bread and the cup, although it has become that meaning. It is referring to the moment when Jesus took the bread and what? Gave thanks. It's the word in the scripture. It, it's the same word that when Jesus took the little boy's lunch. You remember that? The, a couple of fish and five loaves, right? And he gave thanks. That word is, is Eucharist. And by the way, in Greek, the root word is charis. Here it is again. Grace. Grace is in the middle of thanksgiving. And it is when we give thanks. Listen, he connected giving of thanks and communion with God. This whole idea is giving thanks. Now, here's, here's why they were giving thanks. They could see what was on the table in front of them. Imagine that night before Christ would be crucified. 
He has the bread that is in front of him, and the bread that is in front of him, he what? Gives thanks for what is right in front of him. They take the cup, and they give thanks for what is right in front of them. And let me just say to you, the seed of gratitude works when you take everything of every good thing that is present. Some of you just need to take a deep breath. Most of you are thankful that it didn't come through a mask. <laughs> you should be. It means to take inventory of what's right in front of you. And did you know that this will keep you from having a heavy heart? It'll keep you from having a heavy heart. Now, I'm going to show you that from a scripture that actually says your heart can be heavy and sick. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Okay, this is talking about something you long for, you're believing for, you're, you're waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it. And he says, as it's, as it's delayed, it, your heart is sick. It says, but when it comes, when the blessing comes, what is it? It's a tree of life. It nourishes you. It fills your soul. It fills your countenance. And here's the point. What if you took the last part of that verse and you actually begin to focus on everything that God had already delivered on it? your life, that you are saved by his grace, that you are here, that you are breathing and you have an opportunity to be a light in this day, that God's not done with you, that you haven't failed beyond his love's reach, that, that God in this moment will put his spirit on you, change your life and give you a hope and a future. This is our God. You look at everything that's right in front of you and say, thank you. Thank you. I heard a study that was done about mental health. He says much of the mental health issues that we deal with in this country have been connected to people trying to avoid pain. They're just trying to avoid pain. Like the potential of pain. How many of you know that it's impossible to avoid life's heartbreaks? but it's not impossible to respond how God would like you to respond. And you do that through giving thanks. Francis Frangipane, great Bible teacher, he says this, the thankful heart sees the best part of every situation. It sees pro uh, problems and weaknesses as opportunities, struggles as refining tools, and sinners as saints in progress. Man, isn't that good? Come on, what if we begin, to, we, we begin to see our weaknesses as opportunities to God to show himself strong? What if we saw our struggles as moment where God is actually forging within us the character which we will need in the days ahead to bear up under the pressure, and, but not only to bear up, but to actually thrive in the midst of it? 
You see, Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. By the way, that's his work in us, but it is also our agreement with that work. And if we could be thankful in the midst of, you know, we, some of us read Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, Jesus' words, where there'll be, there'll be pestilence and there'll be wars and rumors of wars and there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. We read that like they're promises we're supposed to believe in. All that is talking about is the atmosphere in which the church overcomes. That's the atmosphere that a bride is being made ready. That's the atmosphere where we get to shine as the light of Christ in, on this planet. That is the atmosphere that Jesus will come back to a bride who's ready, who is saying what? Come, Jesus, come. It's not because we're so weary and we can't take another minute. That's the way we think. I can't take another minute, Jesus, come get me. No! That's not why we're saying come. We're saying come because we're so lovesick. We're so longing to be with him. We're like, God, I can't stand another minute of this. This is separation. Come, Jesus, come. The spirit and the bride say come. That's from the book of Revelation. And you know what? You know how you get there? Thanks. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for you. For, for my family. I thank you for everything that you've given me. Some of you in here have been troubled from time to time about knowing God's will for your life. God, how do I know your will? How do I know what you want me to do? The fastest way to get in the will of God is to give thanks, according to this scripture. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to get in the will of God? You just start giving thanks. You want to know that I'm walking in the path that he has prepared for me? Start giving thanks. You want to know that the steps, my steps are ordered to the Lord and my every step is established as I follow Christ? Start giving thanks. Get rid of the complaining. By, by the way, the, the Bible does say do all things without complaining. My kids can quote that scripture. I wonder why. It's because they hear me say, I do all things without complaining. Let me put it to you simply. If you want, if you really want to be in a place of gratitude, it starts with this truth. If you have Christ in your life, you have more than enough. It starts there. If you have Christ, Jesus, in your life, it's more than enough. Look, look at me. But if you don't, you're not ready for this moment. If you don't, you are not ready for the last hour. Because we need him desperately. We need to lean on him to know him and to follow him. And the good news is, today, you can leave thankful because he is inviting you into his family through his grace, through faith in Christ today.